Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. I want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. Did you ever have one of those amazing ideas and years later you see it everywhere and you tell your friends, I thought of that a long time ago. The problem, you never moved past, I had an idea. Our guest today had one of those ideas when he was 18. The difference, he acted on it. From his parents' basement 25 years ago to now as the CEO and founder of a $700 million publicly traded company, you too can buy his big idea. Sean Nelson, welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Sean is the founder and CEO of Lovesack. The big one. A very large beanbag chair filled with foam instead of traditional beans was Sean's great idea. <laughs> Today, Lovesack specializes in designing and manufacturing alternative furniture products, and Sean is on a mission to change the way consumers think about buying. During the 25-year entrepreneurial journey, the story behind Lovesack was featured on the television show Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch. He's currently working on a book sharing the 25 lessons learned pursuing his big idea. Sean, looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. you got a great story to tell, and looking forward for my audience to learn all about you. Are you ready to jump in? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, I don't want to mess around and have the good stuff at the back end. Okay. So I know the book, 25 Lessons Learned, matches up with the 25 years you've been in business. 80-20, what's the one big lesson that you really, after all these years, is the big takeaway? Yeah, yeah, the book comes out this year, Let Me Save You 25 Years, is the goal. It's the title of the book and the goal now of my uh, contribution in the entrepreneurial world. I guess if I could boil it down to one of those 25 lessons that I cover in the book, I would go with quit or keep going. So, so Love Sack, if you're not familiar with the story and you probably wouldn't be, some know us as this giant beanbag company, some as this uh, couch company, which is now 90% of our sales. So to many people at our scale, we're a modular couch company selling very high-end modular products. But along the way, we've had every kind of up and down. And I remember this one time during one of the worst downs, you know, this is following full chapter 11 reorg bankruptcy, start over the worst kind of embarrassing moment in my life. After years of of struggling along as a side hustle and then a little enterprise and then a bigger little enterprise and, you know, into the, let's call it $20 million range, having to start over again. And I look at my parents and I, you know, I'm years into it already. And I say, well, what do you think? You know, what should I do? And, and my w- wise mother said to me after much thought, well, you can either quit or keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it really and is I, like kind of two choices. Right? Yeah. And I realized, you know, as dumb as that sounds, we're faced with that decision really every day in everything we do just to honestly, just to get out of bed, just to go through your morning routine, just to 
whatever that is for you, just to do anything, even to go surfing, you know, since I moved to San Diego, we really are faced with this decision and it's binary if you let it be. You quit or you keep going. And, and again, sometimes you can skip for a day and come back to things or whatever, but I just think like as simple as that is, I think it's been a very powerful lesson in my life. And I, and when I find myself maybe not wanting to do anything, I try and simplify it to that end. That's why we have moms. That's right. That's why we have moms. (laughs) But actually that's kind of, when you really think about that, that's a little deeper than just it sounds on the surface, because I think too often what we do is something in the middle, kind of Mm -hmm. one foot in Mm -hmm. versus either be in or out. But playing in the middle is like the worst place to play. Yeah. And I I think too often that's where a lot of folks play. Yeah. I I certainly agree with that. I'm, I'm a all in kind of person, you know, my book addresses a lot of this kind of attitude. I talk about a number of little bits of wisdom that I've collected along the way, maybe the hard way, the hardest way in some cases. And I hope the book will be useful. The podcast that will go with it, let me save you 25 years.com will be the podcast. And it's the longer version of the book because I wrote a very short book. There's a few moments in, in my own story. And it's so, so the, basically the book, I, I share my full love sack story in a very succinct way. I tried to keep it really short, actually, even though it's packed with all kinds of humiliating and, and also magnificent and exciting detail. I think I've tried to somehow walk that line, but then I half the book is dedicated to me pontificating on topics like this, ideas that I've picked up along the way, call them Seanism, 25 little lessons that I believe might save you some chunk of 25 years. So for me, it took very long. Shouldn't have taken this long to get here. Happy that we're here, grateful, you know, to be approaching a billion in sales and growing rapidly still. It's amazing after so long to be able to be in this position, but it didn't need to take this long if I had only, if I had only known then what I know now. But, but to that end, I, there are a number of points where I talk about what it means to be all in and, and what it means to be able to keep your head down and just, frankly, paddle for a very long time before always looking up to the distance to gain your bearings. I think that's another thing we do to that end is, um, you know, being halfway in, we also are always looking around in case we're missing something, Mm. you know, comparing ourselves to others like, ah, I mean, we've all done that throughout life, but I think upon reflection after all this time, one of the reasons I think we have gotten to where we've gotten has been our ability to just frankly swim for very long periods of time, many, many years on a strategy as opposed to always like looking around, jumping around, pivoting around, but don't misunderstand. There've been plenty of pivots and shifts along the way as well, but not without long periods of just pushing. And that I think is another thing that eludes people. And look, I don't, I don't really have the formula to tell you, Oh, how can you do both? How can you stay on a strategy or a course or something, even through thick and thin, even when the signs aren't necessarily great, the whole time and simultaneously know when to pivot. But I think so much of that is intuition. And that's where I think entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs must be very conscious because I believe in it as, as superstitious as it sounds. I just think that, uh, that really is a superpower of any successful entrepreneur is the ability to really intuit things. And so it's tricky. It's super tricky, but that's what the money's for, I guess. There you go. That's why you make the big bucks shine. (laughs) What about people around you on that journey? I mean, did you have, mom obviously was one one of the players in this, but did you have other people in the business advisors that uh, you found to be super helpful that 
help you keep that clarity of yeah, hold the course or yeah. maybe it's time to rethink this, Sean. I mean, how did that work for you? Who was around you in this journey? Yeah, different people at different times. Throughout the arc of the 25 years of Lovesack, I'm the only common thread. You know, I've had a lot of people come and go and come back. And I'm grateful to them and they've, and many have played a role. I think a common theme for me is I've always, though, along the way, found some key operating partner, someone who's just better than me, smarter than me, more experienced that I could really lean on and really trust to do things like completely independently, pretty much, where I'm able to obviously set the strategy and collaborate with them to create a strategy, to create a direction, pressure test it, argue. I mean, so many arguments, some vehement, you know, like I've had had strong people around me that could go toe to toe. That's how I prefer to operate. You need that. Let's talk it out. Like, no, like argue with me. Like, don't, don't just do what I because what's, the, what's the value then? If they just said yes to yeah. everything you said, then where, where's the value? Those kind of people are hard to find, but they're out there. And, and if and if you can manage your own ego and your own ability to have those discussions without ruining people. All right. So how do you keep the ego in check? Because oh, that's how. I, I mean, this is my baby. I know. I'm, so how, how do you keep that in check? Yeah. Ego is one of those tricky things as well because you cannot be a headstrong, intuitive entrepreneur, pursuer of great success without having an ego. So it's not to be crushed, but it is to be managed for sure. And obviously, like, I, I just think some of it's just age as rough as that sounds. Like I'm so embarrassed by some of my behavior 20 years ago, tw- 30 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever. I'm, but I'm, I'm equally embarrassed with some of my behavior five years ago. Right. Right. Like we're on this journey constantly five days ago. I'll make mistakes interpersonally with people. But it's, I think that in that is the key. Are you willing to actually call those out? Not necessarily, you know, lay on the carpet and admit your mistakes in front of everyone, you know, but, but even in your own mind, be really honest. I was a jerk. I didn't need to be. Uh, f- five days ago, maybe. And then be willing to even pursue an apology or whatever it takes. So I think a lot of it is, listen, for me, it comes back to self-awareness. I think all of this all of it comes back to self-awareness. For me, that's a fundamental, maybe the fundamental principle. And from that, empathy can flow. From that, ego management can flow. And uh, knowing when to be headstrong about your intuition or your, or your point of view and knowing when to um, be easy on people because even if you're right, if you go destroy the people around you in the process, or then where does that leave you? So, I mean, there really is a ton of self-management involved in, in if you want success over the long haul. So how did you pursue that? Books. <clears throat> okay, reading? Yeah, for me, you know, I think I was, I was too egotistical to re- have proper mentors, honestly. Like, I had great partners, and, I, and they are my mentors and were my mentors in many respects. But at the same time, they work for me, right. and they work with me. <clears throat> so... So it's not exactly a, bit of a line in that people will push back, but at the end of the day, eh, Sean's the boss. Maybe, so, yeah. you know, either way, it's a different dynamic yeah. than like a true mentor. And look, I really support people networking, seeking out proper mentors. I think it's a really mature thing to do. For me, it was books. I think that's where I was able to learn a lot. Uh, I was able to be humble enough to be teachable through that medium. And to this day, I still... Thank you for the book. Get the jailbreak leadership. Jailbreak leadership. <laughs> I'm going to read it. I read all the books. I try and read everything I can get my hands on. Listen, listen, I listen to books. I fill all of my seams and cracks 
with hopefully helpful media podcasts now. I mean, it's, we live in a wealth of information. Oh the trick goodness, is yeah. sifting through it. Yeah. But there's good to be found everywhere. Maybe even in my meandering uh, thoughts today, books, podcasts for me have been, audiobooks have been a major way that I have developed myself, that I have learned some of these principles. And then thankfully, I've always had a canvas to paint on, you know, with an organization of employees, with an organization growing, again, some sometimes up and sometimes very, very down, but I've always had a canvas to then utilize those principles. Go try them out. Yeah. And I do. And I have, and I, I mean, you know, I could, I could walk you through my strategic guide for love sack and I mean, page for page, I could point at what stuff came from Patrick Lencioni, what stuff came from Jim Collins, what stuff came from uh, Simon Sinek, like page by page. And I've taken it all, but then put it to use over now more than a decade. And all of those pieces have, I think, brick by brick built something that the results are the proof that it works. You know, like in the end, that's the beautiful thing about business. It's measurable. It's measurable. Yeah. And so I don't mean that in a cocky way. I mean that looking at it, that's what's so satisfying. It's like all this crap we hear, all this self-help stuff or like business structure, vision, purpose, mission values. If you can synthesize it into usable stuff, right? not just words on the wall, not just stuff. Some the, the exercise. Yeah. <laughs> we did the exercise, but yeah. they'd be forgotten. And look, that's hard. And again, that's what the money's for. What I mean by that is it's a, it's a, it's a cheeky phrase. What I mean by that is if it were easy, then everyone would just do it and everyone would just be a screaming success. Right. And I've had my share of difficult times all in all. It might, I might've had more, maybe more difficult years than not difficult years, but then net net, Love sex, profitable, love sex, still growing rapidly. Love sex has amazing potential, I think. So that's what I mean. You have to look at the net net. You can't always look at the short term. You can't always look at the game. You got to look at the whole season or maybe the whole career. Hey, might have lost the quarter, but you know, we're still sure. in the game, right? Yeah. Game's not over yet. Well, I kind of like the idea of what you're sharing though in regards to the books of the podcast, because it gives you the opportunity to actually engage with some of the best. If you're going to get a mentor or whatever, they may be great, but they're a person and they've got certain knowledge, but you know, here's the premier people that are writing books are sharing their knowledge. 80, 20 can pull out what really works for you for this person, this one. So you actually have a great, almost board of directors kind of level of mentors when you kind of use books like that. Best in the world. And in fact, I think also, you also become savvy to, there are amazing researcher, content creator, pontificators, you know, people like Jim Collins who are amazing at what they do and put down amazing principles. The thing that's cool is there are also practitioners. That's how I view myself, right? Like I just wrote a book, but my book is very different than, than many of the books I mentioned off the cuff here because I'm a practitioner. I'm actually right. doing there are, this. There are lessons learned, not a, uh, yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about how to do it and, you know, researching a hundred companies and boiling it down to whatever's but I'm, I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying I use, utilize that. I also, I think people like me, let's say it that way, also have something different to offer because they're actually utilizing these principles and putting them to work and, and, and have the evidence, good and bad, for when things worked and did not. And so I think we have to consider the source, right? And if we're only reading, for instance, books or input from pontificators, you know, it's kind of like only getting your news from pundits. You can have a sense of what's going on in the world, but you need to consider the source, 
been filtered. Yes. And so I think my point is, I think there's just lots of points of light. There's lots of places we can find inspiration. I, I'm a huge cinema guy. I just like, I love movies. I love storytelling. You know, I think there's a lot to be gained from art. I think there's a lot to be gained from history. When you can connect the dots across mediums and gain wisdom about how things work, about, I don't know, human nature, et cetera, and then apply those to the way that you lead, manage, build, design, take your pick. There's just so much to draw from. And right. to your point, it's all available now. Like that was, it was a lot harder to come by 20 years ago. Another question for you. Sure. What's a core belief that was kind of the pivotal part of the success? Like I, I just had this ownership mm-hmm. of thing, you know, something as simple as like, it's all about hard work. You know, like uh, the Blanton family I grew up with, like if it's not working, that just means you're not working hard enough, right? That good, bad, or indifferent, that was a kind of a core belief I grew up mm-hmm. with. Is there a core belief that you have that you would say, yeah, that was one of the key things that really drove success for me? One of them is love. As, as uh, I say that because it's such a it's big word and it's not one we hear a lot in business or when we do hear it, it's easy to bristle out. It's so cheesy. Ironically, not kind of by accident. I mean, it's in, it's in our name, not by accident. It's our stock ticker. We're listed on NASDAQ as L O V E. I'm really proud of that, but we're, you know, we are a top ambition company. We're not just here to provide jobs for people that feel good about what we're doing, save the environment through our super sustained hyphenable furniture and get to that in a minute. We are doing that too. We really have top ambitions, but along the way, you cannot, like, I like to sometimes utilize the phrase in our own organization. I'll throw this out there. You know, we are a company of people. That's where the word comes from. You know, we talk about, I built a company. Like, think about the word fundamentally, like the entomology. It's a company of people. What's my point? At the end of the day, all an organization is, is the amalgamated results of decisions made by people, either yourself or others, or more likely yourself and others. While I do admit there are plenty of examples of organizations who have experienced success, kind of like stepping on the backs of others, I'll just tell you that I believe you can achieve wild success and have a really satisfying time doing it if you embrace the concept of love fundamentally. And for me, that comes down to the person sitting across the table from you is a child of God, the same as you and is equally deserving of everything that you are. And when you're able to somehow maintain that, even as you're competing, even as you're guiding, even as you're critiquing and, and offering tough but, advice. But out of love, right? This yeah, is why I'm doing this. Well, by yeah. the way, even, even eliminating positions or whatever it takes, because if you don't, others will suffer because of somebody's you know, terrible behavior or poor performance or whatever it may be. It, at the end of the day, it's all fundamentally can be rooted in love if you let it. And I think the difference is, I think you can have success many ways, but I think it's more satisfying when at least that's underneath it. So I met you through Jesse Langley, Conscious Capitalism, and, and very much what you're describing is what you I would describe as maybe the higher purpose. You know, yeah. We're here, we're here to make money, here's the product and service. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to have an impact in a different way. And it's really about these people at the core and how you're impacting them in their lives. Love it. Yes, absolutely. Conscious capitalism. Love it. (laughs) There you go. Conscious capitalism actually on its face is one of the three 
required readings at Love Sack. It has been now for almost a decade. Nice. And we've gained a lot. There's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You know, the organization's gained a lot. And the organization has a lot in common when everyone in the organization has read that book and, and shares the same language. Whether or not they're, and think about that, most of the people in my company are not in management necessarily. They're not going to affect our strategy. They're not going to affect our, they're not making decisions on exactly how we build the culture. But they're part of that exact They're culture. executing it. And by the way, the fact that I've given that book to them then holds me accountable to those principles. Because otherwise- Are I'm you like, walking that out or not? Well, exactly. Because like, what kind of hypocrite am I? You're going to make me read this book that stands for all of these principles and then you're glaringly uh, not living up to those. And so I, you know, I think that's, it, that's why I'm saying it all connects back to, as you were talking about, you know, extreme ownership, accountability. That's a form of accountability. So let's talk about culture for a moment here. Yeah. Cause everything we are talking about culture and yeah. we were having lunch the other day. We're kind of talking about, man, at some level, yeah, you got there. You got, you got to keep preaching it, preaching it, preaching it. So let's talk about culture. Obviously that's so key to success. What, what's your view of that? What's your thoughts? How do you make that happen? A couple things. One, you can win with many different styles of cultures. It's, it's just like, look at entrepreneurs themselves, black, white, brown, male, female, foreign, domestic. There's no right culture. And so that's nice because you can build almost anything you want. In terms of culture, though, it is, of course, critical and people ask all the time, well, how do you, how do you build a culture? You know, I think number one for me is back to my first Seanism in the book, just do something. We have ideas every day. Like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if, if like when people came in, they got to, blah, blah, blah. okay, do that. Oh God, it'd be really cool if like, imagine if we uh, started reading books together and then once a month we, okay, try it. As dumb as that sounds. Well, it's kind of back to when you were 18. Yeah. <laughs> Just get off do the it. Couch. Just do it. <laughs> Love Sack would not exist. I had that dumb idea. Like, how funny would that be to have a beanbag like this big, like me to the TV, the whole floor. And I literally stood up on a summer day. I was 10 days out of high school, drove down to the fabric store, bought fabric. Didn't cost me that much. You know, I was on sale on the sale rack, brought it home, cut it out. And uh, jammed up my mom's sewing machine trying to get started. My point is, I don't think culture's any, I don't think anything's any different. And look, you can't run around just doing everything, but if you feel compelled and you have any kind of bandwidth, okay, do it, start it, try it. And then it may not work on its face, but it may lead you to something else that works as, that's a cousin to it. Mm -hmm. And now you know something doesn't work, which is frankly almost as valuable as knowing something does work or You'll know that something kind of worked and hey, with these alterations, it'll work even better. More people will show up next time to our book club. We have a book club at Love Sack and it's one of those dumb examples of an idea that, you know, and, and look, not everybody comes, but some people do. And the fact that people even know that that's going on and even know that like I sometimes take my own time to show up because I'm busy as well and, and I'm there and it's an audience of four people sometimes depending on, on the right. book and depending on the month. But like, that word gets around and it, my point is even knowing that it's happening is useful, even to the people that don't participate. So my point is, is you can't do everything, but you can start by doing something. And I think too often, you know, we run around stymied like, well, I don't know, you know, I've had this idea and that, okay, just do one and then try the next one. And so let's try right, right back to the introduction I gave. People have ideas and then they go, <laughs> don't take action. Yeah, just do it. And it, sometimes it, it's, it can be even a little demeaning or humiliating or embarrassing to try things or fall on your face. 
I don't know what to tell you. You have to develop the bias for action and the ability to just get over yourself. And that's back to ego. Let yourself look stupid. Let your failed book club with two participants, including you, but, it, but now you know something for better or for worse. And I just think that uh, that's been a very useful concept in my life. Take an action. We just talked about kind of the culture. We talked about the higher purpose and all that. But one of the things when we were having lunch the other day that I got excited about was how it seemed like your mission evolved. You know, obviously, let's go make some money. Let's go start a business. Let's do all these things. But now you're on fire about the products you're making and what it means to the world and sustainability. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Like, you know, how, how did that evolve for yeah. you? And how did this all of a sudden become a passion that... Now you have something you're inviting your stakeholders in, the employees, right? I mean, that becomes part of the mantra of the business as well. It's like, no, we're up to something really big over yes. here. How did that happen for you? My selfish advice is definitely when, when the book comes out, check it out because, because it is a 25-year arc and it's convoluted. And I tried to lay it out really succinctly so it could be taken down in one sitting and, and understood end to end because I think there's a lot of use in that. But uh, to try and do it in two minutes, let's say on this podcast, I think what I would say to you is that Lovesack is a company that began with no purpose and no direction. It wasn't even, I wasn't even intending to build a company. You know, I made this giant beanbag. People loved it everywhere. I took it. It's like, I want one of those things. Ah, I didn't want to make another one. It took me three weeks to stuff the first one. You know, I just did it because it's funny. We eventually reluctantly made one for a neighbor. And then I got sucked into it as a side hustle all through college never made any money, just dragged my life down, man. Took my time, took my money. The van would break, the shredder would break, need more fabric. All it did is suck money out of my life. I was a waiter at night waiting tables to pave my way through school while I'm going to school and spending my afternoon stuffing, flipping beanbags. I mean, it's humiliating. But here, are, here we are as an almost billion dollar public company. So what's my point? My point is you can have the chicken before the egg. That's all I know, in fact. And to some degree, I think it's better. I think so often we're looking for the egg right out of the gate. It's like, man, you're trying to solve like genetics and biology instead of just like jumping in and uh, chasing chickens. I don't know. It's a there's terrible a, analogy. A here, Sean. It's a terrible a analogy. Theme, yeah. You know, but so, so, okay. So we made yeah. the beanbag. People loved it. We made more. We opened a store. People loved it. We opened more. You know, we failed. We grew too fast, did all that crap. And then we invented sectionals because in that first store, there was a couch in the corner to look pretty next to the giant not bean bags, foam bags that people were buying for a thousand bucks. But that couch, how much is that couch? And we couldn't deal with the couch. It was too hard to move. It was too hard to deliver. It was too expensive. We couldn't have it in all the fabrics. God, if only we could shrink one down, like we shrink a sack down. Cause that made our love sacks UPSable. That made our business internetable. God, that, that's a cool idea. So why not? So we start chopping up couches and trying to like shrink them down. And, and then along the way we realized, Hey, when we separate them, in these rectangular sections, we can actually make the fabric peel off. So now you can change them. So opening up a whole lot of different them. doors for you. Yeah, and we invented and patented sectionals. And then look, it took us a decade to figure out how to become like a credible couch purveyor versus the pottery barns and crate and barrels and restoration hardwares of the world as this love sack beanbag college kid company selling now, you know, multi-thousand dollar couch. That's a tough, my point is it's hard. And it's a long, long arc. And that's the reason I think the book is useful. Let me save you 25 years just because you can take it down in one sitting and see that arc and see how it can unfold. But it does require long periods of swimming. 
and figuring out how to sell couches the hard way. And I think you could do it faster. That's the whole point of the book. If you don't make some of the mistakes that, that I made and if you're humble enough to learn faster, but long story short, along the way, not only did we realize all these attributes about the product that then made it possible to sell to consumers successfully. And in fact, the most successfully, we probably have the best selling couch in the United States right now by the numbers, not, not, you know, by our own proclamation, but just by the sales numbers and the fastest growing by far and still growing with tons of prospects as we layer in new innovation. What's my point is, is in that layering in, because we built a platform that can layer in. The sectionals in my living room are 15 years old, some of them. They are married up with now Stealth Tech Surround Sound that we added recently. They're married up with Angled Side that we added recently. Like we have invented a truly sustained hyphenable solution, something that is, is sustainable, not because it's made from plastic bottles, which by the way it is. We already recycle more bottles to fabric than like all these companies, you you know, t-shirt companies, shoe companies, we do more. We barely talk about it because our true path to sustainability is by making stuff that is built to last a lifetime, which it is because we've refined it over these many years, but more importantly designed to evolve with you as your life changes because you can change the fabric. Not only that, the shape, not only that add surround sound when we invent that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't make you buy the new one. You can just add it on to the one you already have. Well, I didn't begin with any of that vision is my point, but that the idea, because I made that stupid Legos couch originally and then put it in stores and tried to sell it and walked this long path. It's now led us to a really concrete point of view on sustainability that by the way, is very different than all the people swirling that drain, preaching plastic bottles and preaching, you know, inputs and whatever. And now we have a point of view that's quite unique, designed for life, things built to last a lifetime, designed to evolve. And that came after reading dozens of books on the topic of sustainability, dozens of books, hundreds of books on the topic of business and marketing, et cetera, living it in real time. And over the course of many years, we've boiled it down now into not just a mission, which is what we're trying to achieve commercially, but a purpose which is motivating and exciting to everyone joining the company and hopefully even customers, right? Our stated purpose of inspiring humankind to buy better so they can buy less, which is a weird thing for a product company to say, but therein you have something provocative there and you have something ownable, unique. My point is, is like all of this is the product of this 25 year path that was circuitous and ugly and tough and, and everything else. And so it could have been shorter if I had known these <laughs> principles ahead of time and looked for the egg even sooner, looked for the purpose and recognize these attributes sooner, right? That's the point of the book is to hopefully bring you along. Help someone else, yeah. Yeah, but what's my point? My point is you don't have to know all of this to just make a big flipping beanbag or to start chopping up couches and go at it. You just- Get busy. Get busy, man. But do not put your head down and count your money. Look for the egg. Don't be satisfied with your yard full of chickens. Really try and tie it together. And when you do now, by the way, Lovesack, I believe, has a point of view toward billions. By the way, I only use the money stuff because it's a way to measure it. Getting back to the measurable side of it. I I mean, it's just exciting to me. It proves the model. Yes, yes. And And that's the point is like we're not here just to like make ourselves feel good because like we did something that we think is great. Like if it works, it, it can grow and provide jobs and provide wealth and provide, 
all kinds of th- good in the world. That's the proof. And that's why I love business. It's a real measurable contact sport and people get bruised and it's tough and it's tough on you, but, but all of it together, I just think it's one of the most real things we have. How does uh, your publicly traded company, and obviously you got to be reporting to the world on a regular basis, and there's all these ex- expectations, and how, how does that play in? I mean, you guys are growing, and good things are happening, so maybe at some level it's not as painful, but it's still part of the, the DNA of our you know our economy and all that. So how, how does that work for you? How does, how does that fit into the equation for you? I love being public. I think that the the model of public companies is the right model, honestly. I think that the, the world as a whole and capitalism as a whole has some bad attributes that are not always healthy. But I think looking at it strictly as a business practitioner, the rigor that goes into accounting, that goes into reporting, that goes into you know, shareholders kind of keeping you honest, that goes into now even ESG considerations, et cetera, it's amazing. Like, how cool is it that, like, if, if I suck, I'm out. That's how I think the world should work. So guess what I'm motivated to do? Not suck. Perform. Right? You know? Get it done. Like, that's what I think is, is at the root of the problem in, like, a family-owned organization. I'm not trying to be critical. There's plenty of amazing family-owned organizations. I'm just saying that from a, as a pure business practitioner, I think the harsh light of being public and everything that comes along with it is a good thing. I just think that you and your partners and those involved have to be up to the task and it's scary and it's hard. That's where great results can come from. I think. So in your mind, it's really kind of up leveled the whole game. For sure. We're we're, we're in the stadium now with a big crowd watching. And that's why I think, uh, yeah. And look, I think some of the weird things that, that, you know, some companies get away with where they have, you know, they still maintain 50% voting shares and, you know, super shares and, that all contorts it, you know what I mean? And, and, and frankly provides a landscape where bad behavior can then really take over because then you have gaming the system, gaming the system or CEOs that have weird points of view that they force because now onto, onto the public, you know, where they're talking about what's happening sometimes in social media or in media, I'm talking about individuals with, with wacky ideas or maybe even really good ideas that aren't necessarily good for everyone. And there's a fine line between individual agency, the good it can do, and the harm it can do. And that's, to some degree, that's why I love the level playing field of a truly measurable public organization and, and some of the rigor that comes along with it. Now, there's lots of ways that even that system is gamed, but um, I believe in it. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of the show already. Man. What's the, what's the big thought? I mean, we started out with beliefs and lots of different things here. What, what's the question I should have asked you, Sean, that you really would like people to hear about? Hmm. You can ask me about the future. That, that's what I was trying to articulate a moment ago as, a, as I try and connect the dots between a company's purpose and mission and uh, just doing something, make a big beanbag, cut up couches, Somewhere over that time arc, and again, you know, my book will hopefully do a better job of connecting these dots in a, in a salient way than I'm doing in the moment now. But it's led us to this place where now we do understand the egg. We do understand what can birth more chickens. And it comes back to our design for life principle. That it's, it's the philosophy that by which we invent things which is ours, which came over a long arc of time. 
it comes back to our purpose to inspire people to buy better stuff so they can buy less. And, and now, now with that point of view, we can go way further than beanbags and couches or even the living room. You know, I believe that we will put this brand in a position someday where we are more known for stuff. Forget home, forget couches, forget living room. We are known for products that can be with you for the rest of your life if you want them to. You can add to it, you can grow it, you can upgrade it, you can change it. Not only the products, but the services to go with it. We'll come do it for you. We'll take it back, we'll recycle it, we'll trade it to others who want different covers. Your covers are fine, but you just be cool to have new ones, but it's pretty expensive. But hey, on our subscription program, maybe you can trade into someone else and we'll help you do that because that's a pain in the butt for you. What's my point? My point is I want to put ourselves where, you know, after two more chapters, maybe a, a couple more decades, even things that are, you would never think of love sack for, we could attack and go compete in because we're not known for beanbags or couches anymore. We're known for stuff that was built to last a lifetime and can evolve. Like look at the mobile phone in your pocket. Biggest company in the world has gotten to it's the size it is by selling us essentially the same thing every year or two. And it pisses me off because you and I can both imagine right now a version of this that could be built to last, maybe not a lifetime, but a decade and could evolve with you as cameras improve, as technology improves. We could kind of in our mind kind of imagine that. They'll never do it. To do it would be to chop off one of their limbs. Right. Now, because we haven't forced them as consumers to do that, they'll just keep printing money by selling us the same product every couple of years. And they won't be investing their hundreds of billions into something like curing cancer or, or the automobile or, or who knows what, because they don't need to. Lovesack will need to. If I'm really committed to what I'm doing, there will be fewer couches sold on the face of the earth because I sold a lot of them and mine are going to last like forever. Well, Sean, what are you thinking? What I'm thinking is at some point, it's, not, it's a long ways out still because it's a big market. At some point, we will be compelled to invent and do other things according to this philosophy by market forces. You have to keep evolving. Which I love. That's how it should work, right? That's why I believe it's a true principle that we are founded on. And we are founded on those true principles because we had our antenna up for the true principles even as we were raising chickens, not knowing where they were going. And that's why I'm saying our future has now, is now informed by the egg of our purpose and mission and values and, and philosophies that have come over a very long time. And you can get them sooner if you know where to look, you know how to think, and you really are actively trying to pursue it. And that's what my book is all about. And that's what I hope to do in Let Me Save You 25 Years, the book and the podcast. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the chance to articulate it here. Well, I appreciate you coming in. I love this whole story. I mean, all the way back to take action. 18. Yeah. Just got up, did it. <laughs> Just do something. Con con continuing to do that. That became the, the core philosophy. And now it's evolving and got this principle behind it saying, we have to continue to walk. We're going to continue to keep walking forward. That's right. Awesome stuff, Sean. It really, <laughs> truly is. Very inspiring. Thank you We very need much. more and more people. And you're staying to your entrepreneurial spirit, right? It isn't like, okay, I built this thing and no, I'm we're just still here going. and watch it. It's like, no, we're going to continue to open new doors and make things happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're, we, we've got a long path ahead, and I'm in it for the long haul still. Thank you for doing what you're doing. 
Thanks for coming in today and sharing your story. Looking forward to the book. When do you, when do you plan on publishing? Yeah, the book, Let Me Save You 25 Years, comes out uh, December of 2023. Pre-sale will be this fall, like September. So keep Just your eye out. Just time for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it'll be available, you know, everywhere books are, audiobooks, all that. The podcast launches uh, next month. Let so Me Save You 25 Years. The pre-show. Can, yeah, the pre-show. And it's kind of the longer version of the book where I unpack these principles one by one with other fantastic entrepreneurs. You know, I've recorded already with uh, Sarah Blakely, Coach Urban Meyer, all kinds of people that have had radical success in life that help me unpack these principles. We go deep on each one. So it's just a, a one principle per show following the order of the book. And I, I think it's going to be a unique uh, experience. So tune in. I think it's kind of fun that, uh, I, who was your mentor? Well, books. And now you're, now you're doing yours, right? Yeah. You're thinking, all oh, these books you read, so now here comes my version. Hopefully. Now. Looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Well, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Loco, and Cause San Diego. We're all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we're all counting on you.